0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. I think we're just uh, honest, if we look at our, our lives, is there anybody here who doesn't want your friends to know Jesus? Nobody's raising their hands. That's a safe one, right? Safe one. Don't get, uh, not too controversial there, right? Uh, The reality is is that we have something uh, really amazing to share as people, right? There's sort of two really positive uh, reasons why we're invested in trying to reach our community. One, uh, every one of you here has had an amazing experience with Jesus. Uh, If you're a Christian, uh, maybe you're seeking, maybe you haven't had that experience yet, but for those who have been believers for a while, you've you've come to know that he he is is a comfort. You've come to know that he brings joy in your life. You've come to know that he brings uh, freedom uh, from sin. Uh, You've come to know that he brings forgiveness. And this relationship with Jesus is absolutely transformative. And if you're uh, a, a good person, you, you really want to see that shared with uh, with others in your life. You want that journey to be shared. So we have something really, really good to offer. And if we look at our friends and neighbors and, and people around us in the community um, who, who don't know Jesus and for us to actually get out there and share the Jesus story, right? Now, how many of you are feeling really comfortable about doing that in your lives right now? Not a lot of us. It's a tremendous struggle. Uh, one of the things we know is that the uh, there, there are lots of people in this region who really do need to know Jesus. Let's just take a look at our area for a second. Uh, this is 2016 census data in the Carlton Place area. This is the area where our church serves. 13,163 people. We know that many people have moved to the region since then. Mississippi Mills, 11,901 people, Beckwith 7,644 people, that's 32,000 people. It's, it's actually, remember when we used to think Carlton Place is just a little town of 6,000 people? right? We're actually serving a, a bigger area, a more significant area. And then we have our body, our church community in this region. There's this group of people here in the room with us, but there are really 10 churches who would say that they're evangelical churches uh, in our region between Carlton Place, Mississippi Mills, and, and Beckwith. Uh, we're going to do pastor numbers and say that there's 100 at each of those churches. So real numbers is closer to 50. Um, If you look at the average number of people that attend church, so say there's a 1,000, say there's another 1,500 that commute into the city for church, that's 2,500 people. We have 2,500 people trying to reach somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,200. What it says basically is that we live in a region, we live in an area where we're trying to reach a little more than 30,000 people with the gospel, with the story of Jesus, that there are that many people who, uh, if we're on a ship that is afloat and people are in the water drowning, we're you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,500 people trying to save 30,000. With something really good, something really beautiful, something that we really believe in, something we know that is going to impact them. So our mission in really simple terms is that we have something absolutely amazing to share We have something that is absolutely, desperately needed. And there are 30,000 people within our reach who really need it. So what's the problem? (laughs) Why are the churches in decline? Why are the churches not thriving? What is the challenge for us? in that moment. And when you ask a missiologist or pastor or somebody who's studying that uh, how to tackle that problem, or if I were to ask you in the congregation, you know, what do we need to tackle the problem of there being a declining church in in North America, of there being so many people that don't yet know Jesus, you know, we we ultimately will begin to think some strategic thoughts. We'll think, you know, we should make our church services more guest-friendly, That's that's not a bad idea as to have, you know, more modern paint on the walls and to be more friendly people and to serve coffee and to do those kinds of things that that really make it so that people connect. Uh, We want to be visible in areas of social justice. That's really important in our culture. Uh, We want to counter the narrative that Christians are all rednecks. That's probably helpful. Uh, We probably think it'd be good if, you know, Christianity's reputation was a little bit better. So we want to uh, work on that, we want to work on the optics. We want to up our game on our streaming services so people can check us out online when they're trying to figure out if they want to go to church. Uh, We want to do social media marketing. We want to do servant evangelism projects. One of the things the City of Ottawa does uh, every year is something called the Big Give. They get out there and they serve and they give gifts to people in the community just to show that Christians are out there and they care, that kind of programmatic approach to outreach. That's one of the things we think of. Uh, the Santa Claus Parade. This is hilarious. One of the things that almost every time I will ask people in a congregation like this about what we should do to really reach our community, everybody wants us to have a, a float in the Santa Claus Parade. That's our big evangelism set, strategy is we're going to have a float in the Santa Claus Parade. Right? So these are, all, these are all good things. They're, they're not bad. I'm, I'm not against us having programmatic uh, approaches to reaching people. That's, that, that's all good stuff. But there's a commonly overlooked biblical strategy. It's a very, very simple strategy. And we see it in uh, Matthew chapter 4, 19, when Jesus is calling his disciples, and he simply says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The primary strategy Uh, that Jesus gave to his disciples for reaching people with the gospel was to transform his disciples into people that could reach others with the gospel. It's to work on them as people, uh, to develop them. That word make there is really interesting. It's just a small word that we throw around and we use all of the time. But but in the the Greek, that word actually implies something so much more. more, That Greek word, paseo, is to manufacture or construct. Imagine Jesus uh, with his disciples. They're out fishing. I've got an amazing story of a catch of fish, and he's hanging out with them, and they're, they're all excited about their vocation as catchers of fish, and he just sort of pulls them aside and says, Hey, guys, uh, if you follow me, if you let me disciple you, if you let me lead you, I will construct you into catchers of fish. I will make you into catchers of fish. I will transform you into that. Um, and we see that word make is, is significant. Like Matthew 7, 17, um, a good tree brings forth fruit. I will bring you forth as a catcher of fish. Uh, Matthew nineteen four at the beginning, the creator made them male and female there's like something about a creative process that god wants to engage with you in your life as he makes you a catcher of fish uh, mark 3 14 is really interesting uh, and it's again this uh, talk with this call to discipleship this call to following jesus it says he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach that word appointed i'm not even sure how you get that from the greek to the english I'm not sure where you get the word appoint. He didn't just like say, hey, I appoint you as as disciples. I'm going to put some holy water on you, and I'm going to give you a membership card to the discipleship club. Now you're disciples, and now you're going to reach people. That word is, I'm going to manufacture 12 that you might be with me, and I might send them out to preach. It's a very active process. That verb is a very involved process. Verb. There is something that is meant to happen in our lives that is not just a status change, not just us. Now all of a sudden we are disciples. Now all of a sudden we're catchers of fish. Now all of a sudden that we're meant to participate in God's great plan. Uh, to show himself to the world. It's not like a status change from being people who were interested in our own things at one time and now we're all of a sudden interested in the kingdom things. That change uh, that is meant to happen in us is meant to be a construction. It's meant to be a building. It's meant to be a transformation. The biblical plan for evangelism is a process of formation that begins inside of you. It's a process of formation, of being transformed, of being changed. We call it uh, discipleship. So we can look at all of those strategic ideas that we talked about, Santa Claus parades and everything else, and those kinds of things are all good. But ultimately, what the Bible is telling us is that we don't have a strategy problem. We have a personnel problem. We don't have a strategy problem at all. We have a problem with you and I actually uh, being confident in our vocation as fisher people. People who are called to reach others. Maybe the reason we're not catching fish is that we've not yet become fishermen. Uh, Maybe we don't have an outreach program problem. Maybe we have a discipleship problem. So that's sort of what I'm, I'm proposing to us, and so let's sort of let's zoom out and look at that. Instead of the thirty thousand people that we want to reach, and we do want to reach them, I, I feel a tremendous sense of urgency when I drive through the church of uh, through the community of Carlton Place, and I feel this I feel this burden, I feel this passion, I feel uh, sometimes uh, it's it's almost overwhelming when I go down the street and I see all of these people that aren't out there, knowing that they can worship Jesus. When I think about us here on Sunday morning and and in my mind's eye, I look out that window, I can see past the trees, I can see into the town, I look through that window, I see over the hills and I see Almont. and in my mind's eye, here we are worshiping the creator of the universe, glorifying him, praising him, lifting him up, and there are people sitting in their bedrooms, in quiet, dark rooms, in greasy chairs, uh, just watching Netflix and not knowing that they can be in the presence Of the creator of the universe, and that breaks my heart, it grieves me. And we should feel that grief, that sense of loss, that sense of burden uh, for those 30,000. But what if we uh, asked ourselves, what would it take for me to be a person who could just reach one friend? What if I could be a person who would just reach one friend? And I want us to just take a moment so that you can have something visual in your minds when we are thinking about that. I'm going to take a moment and we're going to be a little bit silent in prayer. I want you to really listen to the Holy Spirit because I want the Lord to put a face in your mind or a name in your mind. Maybe you want to open up your phone and just type that name down or, or write it down. But just hold in your heart that one person. Is there one person that you have a relationship with or even that you've seen on your street as your neighbor that you really want? to see them come to faith in Jesus. So let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak for a moment. Holy Spirit, uh, we want this to also be a devotional experience. This is not just cognitive learning, Lord. We want you to put a face in our hearts. We want you to give us a living sermon illustration, a person that we know, a person that we care for, that you are putting on our hearts to be uh, somebody that we can reach, a fish that we can catch somebody that we can care for. Would you show us how to do that, Lord? Show us that person, we open our hearts. Do you have that name, do you have that face in your heart? I want you to hold them really dearly as as we talk about it. Now, what are the barriers between you and that person in terms of what you need to actually reach them with the gospel? These are the things that I think, uh, rather than do an open mic, but I think these are almost the things that 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 I guarantee that you would probably say, some of you would say, I'm just near full, nervous and fearful about having that conversation. I, I just feel insecure about it. How many, how many of you would, ex- would say that's, that's the case? Right, there's, there's some, right? I, I'm nervous. I just don't know how to, how to do that. I, I, I'm shy. Right? Well, if you have a nervousness and a fear that is inside you about sharing the gospel of Jesus, what kind of problem is that? Is that a strategic problem? That's a discipleship issue, isn't it? That's an issue of an area where you need to grow, where you need the Lord to transform you, where you need to develop. What about I don't know what to say? How many of you just don't know what to say, right? We don't know what to say. I don't know how to do apologetics. I don't know how to articulate the gospel clearly. I don't know how to tell the story of Jesus uh, with clarity in a way that they'll understand because everybody in my culture, everybody around me, uh, they've been trained uh, by atheist teachers and they, they have a, a way of understanding the world that is so different from mine. I, I just don't know what to say to them. What kind of problem is that? Is that a strategic problem? No, that one's a discipleship problem. There's something more we need to learn. There's something more we need to discover. How about, yeah, I just don't know how to answer their questions? Again, something to learn, a discipleship issue. What about I don't have time to invest? Like I'm so busy, I volunteer at church all the time, Um, I'm doing so much, I'm working all the time, I'm looking after the kids. Uh, To reach that person would really take a significant amount of time. We're going to have to have them over for dinner, Uh, we're going to have to spend time with them, I'm going to have to go hang out when he's cutting the grass and and go around the fence and just sit there and shoot the breeze with them for an hour and I've just got so much to do. Does anybody say things like that? All the time, that's one, that's one that's one for me. I'm busy. I'm a busy person, right? Well, how much time do we spend uh, refreshing ourselves or resting ourselves? How much time do we spend on social media? How much time do we spend on Netflix? How much time do we spend building wealth? How much time do we spend at our cottages? How much time do we spend in leisure? But don't have time to invest in somebody who needs to come to know Jesus. That's not a strategic problem. That's a discipleship problem. I need to be transformed so that I'm a person who values them more than I value my own time or comfort. What if I don't feel compassion? I don't, I don't really actually care about these people. I, I look at them, and I see what they're doing. I see that they're leading uh, in, in a terrible way. I see that they're so sinful, and I actually fear them, and, and, I, and I judge them, and I don't want to be like them, and I don't want to be polluted by them. I don't want I don't, I to don't get myself into that kind of mess. I, I just don't want to do that. I want to live uh, my life where I'm growing spiritually. I don't want to get stuck in that. Oh, that's also a discipleship issue, isn't it? That's another discipleship issue, isn't it? Right? That judgment, that anger, that lack of compassion—that's something Jesus needs to put inside of me. I—I uh, I met with spiritual opposition. It just feels like there's darkness, and I, and I don't know how to beat it. I don't know how to get through. Uh, I don't know how to get uh, into their lives in a way that's really going to make a difference. They're so uh, buried in paganism, I don't know how to connect. Well, that's a discipleship issue. I need to learn how to pray. I need to learn how to, how to seek. I need to learn how to uh, pray that they would be delivered and that the heavens would be opened, and I need to get my friends praying. I don't have my life together. I can't tell them about Jesus because my life is a mess. I don't have any credibility with them. Oh, that's a discipleship issue too, isn't it? My own faith is weak. I have doubts. That's also a discipleship issue. There are so many ways in which uh, we look at a person that we love and we care for and we see that we can't reach them. And the reason that we can't reach them is because we simply, I think, have some growing to do. We have some developing to do. If we want to be people that reach our friends, we need to develop. We need to grow. These are all discipleship issues. When we look at the Great Commission, um, it actually begins and ends with discipleship. We read that text, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Matthew 4, 19 uh, is good. The great commission that we say that we all want to follow is in the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, when the disciples received that commission from Jesus is that when their missionary journey started. Their missionary journey started in Matthew 4 when he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The disciples had a significant period of time in their lives where they were developed into people who could reach people began in Mark uh, three fourteen, when he appointed 12, he chose 12, he made 12, that they might be with him, that they might send him out to preach. There are steps between Matthew 4 and Matthew 28. And so often, I think, when we've tried to build the church or the church has grown in North America, we've tried to do it on the backs of programs and on the backs of great services, and we've skipped the steps between and haven't actually developed as people and haven't actually developed people to be those who can follow Jesus and serve him as evangelists. Uh, How did uh, Jesus make... uh, Fishers of men. How did Jesus make Peter? Peter has a phenomenal story of transformation. Remember Simon Peter, just a common fisherman fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Look at his incredible journey. He's immersed in Jesus' teaching. Uh, Matthew five seven is just one example. It's the uh, the amazing uh, sermon on the mount. Uh, Peter had his name changed by Jesus in uh, in Luke 6.14. He actually radically surrendered his identity and became no longer Simon, but he became Peter, the rock. He let Jesus speak so deeply into his life that he was willing to change everything about how he was perceived by others. Has that been part of your discipleship process? Has that been part of my discipleship process where I'm willing to change my identity to become someone who Jesus has crafted into something that is for use for his purposes. Uh, he saw miracles, he saw Jesus do all kinds of amazing ministry. Jesus actually touched his life, uh, healed his mother-in-law in Matthew 8, 14 to 15. That's a part of our journey, is simply seeing Jesus work in the world, being alongside of him as he's doing miracles and making things happen. That's a part of our discipleship process, got to be a part of what we design into this process of transformation for us. But we go on into his story in Luke nine forty-six. Uh, He's arguing with the disciples about who's going to be the greater, and they argue later on in their story as well. So he's got this uh, competitive nature in him that distracts him from his purpose. Jesus rebukes him. He beats that out of him, right? Right? Uh, How many of us have that sort of process in our lives where our character flaws can actually be actively addressed by Jesus through the scriptures and through those who are discipling us and who are caring for us? Uh, They were sent out on mission, so Jesus trusted them, sent them out to begin to do ministry. Uh, Same for us, as we are called to become disciples, it's not like learn everything and then finally go out. You learn on the journey, you learn while you're going, you learn while you're doing things, you learn while you're experimenting, you're making all kinds of mistakes. The disciples went out and they did the stuff. Uh, they were sent out with some authority to do it. But then when they got back, they were just amazingly excited about how successful they were and how amazing their ministry were. So they came back from a successful ministry with Jesus. And then in Mark, Matthew uh, 10, 20, he rebuked them for their triumphalism. Like <laughs> you hosers, don't be uh, delighted that demons ran for you. Be delighted that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus came, tweaked him, adjusted their hearts, adjusted their character so they would be people who, when they do have a victory, praise would go to Jesus and not praise to them, right? Uh, Peter's amazing story. He walks on water. Like, I think this is one of the harshest moments in the life of Jesus, right? Like, like Jesus is like, hey, Peter, why don't you, you know, come on. And Peter's like, okay, I'm going to walk. On. And Peter, like, I don't know how many steps he took, maybe 100 steps, how many, walking on the water. And if I were the disciples in the boat with Jesus, be like, woo! Peter's run. He's on the water. It's crazy. Peter's heart falters. He begins to sink. Jesus has to save his bacon and rebukes him. like Jesus, you're such a jerk. (laughs) Right? He rebukes him. But there is Jesus discipling Peter saying, Hey, your eyes got on the wind and the waves and your eyes got off of me. You need to fix your eyes on me. Is that a part? Do we have relationship with people? Do we have a relationship with the scriptures where when we have victories and failures where they speak to us and actually begin to transform us and change us and change our hearts? The transfiguration story, amazing. Jesus goes up the mountain uh, with Peter and and James and John and they see Jesus' face transfigured. They see what he looks like in in heavenly form. And Moses and Elijah show up on either side and, and they say, hey, let's put up a tent for all three of you guys. This is amazing. This us this a party. We've got a representative of the prophets in the law here. Let's do that. And Jesus smokes Peter. And James and John in that moment and says, A voice from heaven. God speaks into his life and says, No, this is my son. Listen to him. Adjusting Peter. Saying, No, you're not going to follow the law and the prophets. You have to listen to Jesus. You have to follow him. Another moment of challenge. Another moment of rebuke. Uh, the failure to cast out the demon in Matthew 17, 17. Uh, Peter goes out with the disciples. They go try to cast this demon out. It doesn't work. Uh, the, the guy's still demonized. They come back to Jesus. Hey, what's going on? Jesus, this thing didn't work. I thought you gave us authority to do this. Jesus says, oh, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Right? There's no, there's, sometimes there's not a, a magic bullet. Sometimes there's not a shortcut. Sometimes you have to be a person who is disciplined and on your knees and praying for your lost friend, praying for transformation. Sometimes it costs you time on your knees. This isn't something that just happens quick. You need to be on your face. You need to give up a meal or two if you want this to work. There's maybe something costly here for you. And Jesus teaches Peter. Uh, the argument about foot washing, oh, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus is like, oh, no, you need to humble yourself and allow me to cleanse you because you get mucky and dirty from walking on the roads of life all the time. And you need me to cleanse you and wash your feet. And Peter has to humble himself. He fell asleep in the garden. supposed to be praying with Jesus, watching with him for just, just a little while. And Peter's passed out, fallen asleep while Jesus is praying the deepest prayer of his life. Jesus challenges him to transform him. He denied Jesus three times, right? And the rooster crowed. He's reinstated in John 21, 15, 19. And then finally, we get to this amazing commissioning in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. What a process Peter went through as Jesus' disciple, as he was Constructed as he was made into someone who could reach his friend. Now think about your friend that you love, that you care for, that person that we prayed about just a few moments ago put your their face in your mind. think of all of the barriers between you and them, all of the challenges you have, your doubts, uh, your own struggles with your own faith, your own struggles with your credibility, uh, your sense of personal insecurity, uh, your distractedness and, and you're wrestling with them and you're your judging them, all of that kind of stuff that gets between you and your mission and ask yourself this: am I willing to sign up for a journey that is costly? involves significant risk and constant correction by my master. Because that journey is how you're going to reach your friend. That journey of being transformed by Jesus is the beginning of how you're going to reach your friend. Am I willing to undergo a beautiful, painful process through which I'll be transformed into somebody completely different than I am right now? Because Aaron, who Aaron is right now, I cannot reach my neighbor. I need Jesus to change me, I need Jesus to tweak me, I need him to work in my heart. If I wanna reach my neighbor, I have to get on my knees, I have to get in the word, I have to get in community and I have to let Jesus make me into somebody new so that I can reach that person that I care for. Are we willing to be disciples? Are we willing to be disciples? And now that you've been discipled, remember I said discipleship begins uh, the mission of transformation. Discipleship begins the mission of evangelism. It also ends it. Discipleship or evangelism begins and ends with discipleship. Go therefore and evangelize your friends and just invite them to come to church and hopefully it'll all work well. And even then, I will be with you to the ends of the age. Is that, is that, is that, what, is that what that says? <laughs> Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations. That same word in the Hebrew, or in the Greek, rather. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, encouraging them to become people with a completely different name and a completely different identity. Baptized into Jesus' name, not their own names. And teaching them to obey. All that he's commanded. How many of you know that your neighbors don't want to be taught to obey any more than you want to be taught to obey? Right? But that's the journey. We need to become people of obedience, people who are following Jesus, people who are listening to Him, people He can rebuke, people He can transform, people He can make new, so that we can look at our neighbors and see them with His eyes, and see them with love, and see them with compassion, and see them with care, and be willing to pay the price it costs to actually reach them and care for them. What uh, our time in wrestling with COVID proved to us as a church. Uh, so many people just lost and scattered to the wind in the church in North America, was that our discipleship was about a mile wide and about an inch deep. We We were literally, the wind blew, the storm hit, and our churches closed, and we went online, and everything blew up, and people went away. And it is absolutely a failure of discipleship. That, that happened and it is absolutely a failure of discipleship uh, that there are 30,000 people in these communities that don't know Jesus and maybe with pastor numbers 2,500 that do we need to be transformed we need to be made new so this question for us will we become a discipling church will we become discipling churches Will we become a people who are submitted to the process of change? Simon, so, mean, you guys can come up and close us with the song. Will we be people who uh, will, will be made new? You know, Pastor Ivan and I, uh, both pastors of our own churches, it's part of what we're dreaming about, part of what we're praying about, part of what we want to see for both our congregations. Uh, can we shape our ministries? Can we shape our relationships? Can we shape our Sunday morning? Can we shape our small groups? Can we shape our our counseling ministries? Can we shape our youth program and our children's program? Can we shape everything that we do to transform people into people who reach people? Transform us into fishers of men to enter us into a discipleship process so that we can simply do what we're called to do. If we can do that, if we can, uh, even if you've been a mature Christian for a long time, even if you've known him your whole life and you're looking in your journey and saying, hey, hey, people aren't coming to faith around me, and, and this is me speaking to me as well. If you're looking around your life and you're not seeing uh, evangelism happen, can I become a disciple again? And if I can become a disciple again, if I can truly be transformed by Jesus... That's how the world is going to change. That was his strategy then, and it's still his strategy today. Will we follow Jesus? Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.